This is Binod Shankar and you're listening to the Real Finance Mentor podcast from the realfinancementor.com. The Real Finance Mentor is your go-to resource for insight and inspiration on careers in finance, CFA and more. I would think why this podcast? Well, my goal is to deliver insight and inspiration for your finance career by making it one relatable. This is not theoretical stuff. We zero in on the critical practical issues. Number 2, authentic. No bullshit, no sidestepping. The topics, guests and questions are all from that perspective. And number 3, take a chartered accountant CFA charter holder, add 17 plus years as a corporate warrior, mix in 10 years of entrepreneurship, through a decade of full-time CFA training, add speaking, mentoring, cycling and mountaineering, and that's me. Welcome to the Real Finance Mentor, or as I call it, RFM. Hi guys, this is Binod Shankar, the Real Finance Mentor. here with one of my solo episodes this episode is about the realities of career stuff that almost no one talks about so many youngsters have workplace illusions wrong expectations create major disappointments and i've noticed that whenever i post on linkedin about the harsh realities of modern day career i get extraordinary number of likes and comments someone even commented that they should be handed out to every graduating class it would have helped me immensely if only i knew half of this when i started so i thought hmm this connects with many and perhaps i should do an entire podcast episode on it right partly because i couldn't capture the nuances on linkedin i mean i love linkedin but can only say so much on a post so i recorded the first batch of 10 career truths in august 2020 that's all episode not unsurprisingly remains the most popular rfm episode even after 28 episodes of the rfm podcast and despite many highly insightful interviews with some bright and successful guests of course they had to be sequel to the first one so here are 10 more career truths truth number 1 work can bury you now once you start working you only have time for that I'm not talking about zero work-life balance culture prevalent in many careers and companies. I'm talking about how you'll be so busy that you'll forget about managing your career. The week, the month, the year will be a blur of emails, meetings, deadlines, business trips, conference calls, and presentations while your career is on hold. Thanks to all these details, time flies, and before you know it, you're way behind. It's hard to catch up on managing your career. The other factor holding you back is the feeling that you're successful in your career, so why bother? Big mistake. But what do I mean by managing your career? I mean going to networking events, reaching out to people online, hunting for opportunities, getting a good mentor, signing up for career coaching, updating your resume and LinkedIn profile, talking to recruiters, learning about new roles and recruitment trends, learning new skills. reading important books and listening to valuable podcasts like the the real finance mentor etc etc now all this takes time and effort the issue is that most people are passive and reactive when it comes to career management and work and too busy become excuses but that's a disastrous strategy given how competitive the job market is so raise your head work on your career and do not allow yourself to be buried by details Truth number 2 Survival requires skipping levels 
Now, the normal rules of the game stipulates that you must report only to your boss. But your superior may be an incompetent moron, a fraud, a tyrant, or an exotic mix of some or all of the three. It's quite unlikely that they will change since they are the boss and they're most likely remarkably not self-aware. So you have three options here, right? Option one, keep quiet. Option two, fight with your boss. Or option three, skip levels and talk to their boss, i.e. the super boss. Now, option one will ensure things stay the same or get worse. Option two means things will get worse and you may be fired. Option three is the best because not only does the company benefit, you gain a powerful ally and you have neutralized your jerk of a boss. Now, this should work quite well if you can prove that your boss is materially harming the company. Examples would be unprofitable initiatives, nepotism, favoritism, high staff attrition, bribery, loss of key clients, harassment of staff or supplier or clients and things like that, right? There's a caveat here. You should have already built a rapport with the super boss and the super boss should like you for your competence and credibility. This of course needs to happen well before you skip levels, right? This also means that you must try and have as much contact with the super boss as possible, like attending meetings and presentations that your boss has with his boss. So the latter knows you and you can impress him. Another way is to build a relationship is to give him on time or on spec information that he needs, which your boss is unable to because he's clueless on the ground realities at work. Now, health warning, there's a small risk of blowback from your stunned boss, but it may be worth taking. Truth number three, you will often be undervalued. You will be paid based on your perceived value to the company. The operative word here being perceived. Because it's quite common that what you get paid is far less than what you deserve. I mean, you get compensated based on not some random emotional plea, but the value you bring to the company and your market value. Now, the underpayment can happen for any or some or all of the below three reasons. Number one, you are shit at talking about what you have done due to poor communication skills or low confidence or some other affliction. Tragically, your employers have no idea how good you are. This is quite common. The second reason is you have rather high principles and think that talking about your good work is cheesy and unethical. Perhaps due to some misbegotten medieval utopian belief that your work should speak for itself. This snooty attitude is less common. Number three would be your employers are notoriously stingy when it comes to pay. This is more common in small and medium enterprises and even in bigger family or owner-managed businesses. Truth number four, you only get what you ask for. This is a perfect segue from the above point, truth number three. But they're saying in many cultures that broadly on the lines of only a crying baby gets the milk. Now, don't be the silent infant. If you want a promotional raise or a mentor or anything else, you have to ask for it, backed by solid justification. Management is not watching you 24 by 7 and noting all the good stuff so that they can reward you come year end. They have other priorities. I mean, they're not mind readers. Their motto in life is not fairness for everyone every time. If you don't ask, someone else will, and they will get that what you wanted, but what you had some dumb medieval hangups asking for. And then you'll be kicking yourself for years and bitter regretting that for not raising your hand. What's the worst that can happen if you ask a no 
Big deal. Unless you're the sensitive, delicate flower type, in which case I have a bigger question for you, which is what the hell are you doing in corporate life? Truth number five, nice guys often finish last. I'm assuming that your work is top quality here. But if you're too nice, you fully deserve the consequences. Look, I'm not suggesting you turn into a corporate Hitler or a wolf of Wall Street. But your career will go nowhere if the below captures who you are. You do all the dirty work that no one wants to do. You allow people to come to you at the last minute. You're okay with being ignored for training, promotion, plum rolls, etc. You're okay with being kept out of the loop. You have the inability to put the universal quid pro quo principle into action, which is if you've done a favor for someone, then quid, and you should demand reciprocity, the quo. It's only fair. You allow someone less able than you to take the lead. And you have the fundamental inability to say no to anyone for anything. Now, the nice guy syndrome often stems from fears of hurting someone's feelings when it not, may not be the case. Now, not only do you suffer because you are nice, there's very often no reward for being a long-suffering nice guy. Unless, of course, you firmly believe in karma, the afterlife, or masochism, all of which are frankly beyond the scope of this podcast. Stop being unnecessarily nice. There are rewards for being practical, assertive, and confident. Truth number six, your network is your lifeline. Look, in, net, in bad times, your network is your parachute, your safety line, your escape hatch, your life raft, your backup plan, etc., etc. Your network can keep your career afloat when other careers are sinking. In good times, your network can get you access to quality education, well-paying jobs, promotions, brilliant mentors, active sponsors, juicy roles, impactful volunteer positions, rewarding investment opportunities, loyal business partners, big clients, competent employees, and also help you raise your profile. I mean, in fact, your network can do everything except make chicken soup. You only have three things to do in your career. Have a great attitude, have top aptitude, and number three, develop and maintain a strong network, in which case everything else will fall into place. But it's not that simple in practice and good network is quite rare because number one, many people are shy and awkward and embarrassingly terrible at networking, even after many years at work. Number two, many believe the holy trinity of education, smarts and output are enough. Number three, Many practice networking, but purely in a selfish, opportunistic way. Now, these three factors are 99.99% of the reason why most professionals suck at networking and why they get nowhere. Now, networking is an art and a science. It's a science because there's a, there's a process to it, and the basics can be taught to and practiced by almost anyone. It's an art because there's so much that's possible and immensely valuable beyond the basics. That's quite frankly tough to teach. And a lot of it is innate. Truth number seven, your ego is not your amigo, right? We're all born with egos and ego defense mechanisms. And all that means is that we are reluctant to admit to the harsh realities of life. Now we hate to admit that you're not that honest or resourceful or creative or empathetic or consistent or curious or creative because to admit that we are shit even to ourselves is often humiliating. So what happens? We often carry around with us a distorted image of ourselves. 
We may believe that we are God's gift to, for example, finance and leadership. Now, what's dangerous here is the gap between reality and what you think widens as you get more qualified as you go up the career ladder because your ego increases. In addition, as you become a bigger boss, few will be bold enough or know you well enough to give you honest feedback. So you have a double whammy here, right? Inflated ego and lack of honest feedback, all of which are setting you up for a catastrophic failure. Now, this is a massive issue because you won't grow unless you're ready to admit your mistakes. Now, you must grasp that you often don't realize the effects of your actions or even don't know what's driving this and that others can tell you how it impacted them. So leadership requires you to control your ego. If you can't, you will remain stuck in familiar, comfortable territory. Truth number eight, your interests will change. Look, you start off your career thinking that you like what you do and hence see yourself doing this for the rest of your work life. You think financial analysis or valuation or risk management or advisory, et cetera, are big sectors where you have ample space to grow. You can't think of anything else that interests you. Now it's quite likely that your interest will change. Why? Well, because of many reasons, right? Number one, you realize that your ambition was seriously limited years ago because you didn't know enough. Now that you do, the current career won't do. Number two, as you mature, get married, have kids, etc., your priorities in life will change. You no longer care for 18-hour days, regular business travel, etc., etc. Third reason. You find the sector is no longer attractive thanks to changes in technology, consumer taste, politics, regulation, etc. The fourth reason why your interest might change. You might find that the town or small city you started to work in is too small and growth requires you to shift to a major metro, even shift countries. Number five, you realize that it's too tough and too long to get you where you want to be in where you are right now. If promotions to the top take 15 to 20 years, you're probably better off quitting. And number six, once you each reach a certain age, say around 40, you spent nearly two decades working for others and learned a lot and saved enough so much that you start yearning for freedom, impact, authenticity, and self-actualization, and start thinking about entrepreneurship, for example. And of course, not talk of a career change triggered by terminations, but a voluntary change. Now, don't be afraid or ashamed to change careers based on changing interests, because changes are perfectly natural and just shows that you have overcome the common sunk cost fallacy. Truth number nine, your advisors can make or break you. Don't look for career advice to your parents or friends or colleagues. There are some excellent reasons why I say this. Just assume that these people want the best for you. Right? That still leaves four big issues. The issues, number one, they don't know you well enough. They think they do, but they don't. They have only seen what you have chosen to show them, which is based on a specific context, i.e. home or work or play. Reason number two, they don't know the job scope in specific markets, either current or future. Your parents entered the job market maybe 25 years ago when markets were quite different. Your friends are as inexperienced and naive as you are, and are probably just following the herd. Number three, they have no idea about what attitude and aptitude you need to make it big in that specific career. And number four, they are biased, especially if they're your parents, who, at least in the Middle East and Asia, want their children to enter specific fields 
like medicine or law or engineering and highly value the employer brand so they can say that the son is working with Google. And they also worry a lot about job security, which may not be your prime concern. Now with these four major issues, it's not only a waste of time talking to them, it's misleading as well. The problem, especially with parents, is that because of their so-called credibility, you might believe them and faithfully implement their advice. I would suggest you talk to industry professionals, junior and senior, mentors, career counselors, and your professors in college, etc. These are better advisors. And last but not the least, truth number 10, marriage can be help or hindrance. Now, I know this may be controversial, but I must say it because it's closely linked to your career. Right? Now, most people want to get married and have kids. That's normal. Now, although I'm single, hundreds of my former CFA students are married and some have children. Now, most of these former students are in the 26 to 38 age group. I've been observing and listening to them for the past decade. I've noticed that there are several big implications for your career when you get married that you must consider and expect. Number one, once you have children, your priorities will change whether you like it or not. Your needs often become secondary and the children take precedence. There may be more friction when it comes to changing jobs or careers because now you have to consider schools, cost of education, et cetera, et cetera. The second reason, once you start a family, you will want to be closer to them, especially in the initial years, say age zero to age five, and the important pre-college period for, you know, from 14 to 17 years of age. This may also mean accepting a less desirable job just to be nearby, like I've seen quite often. Number three, the burden of running and the family falls more on the mother than the father. I mean, the mother is the primary caregiver for the child in most societies. All this means that, for example, if some challenging studies like CFA are planned, a married woman with one or more kids has to struggle a lot to juggle the four balls of family, self, work, and studies. I've seen this at close range, and this can prolong the CFA journey and also make a normally grueling saga even more grueling. Number four, the costs of maintaining a family at a comfortable level these days especially in the metros, can be quite high. This means extreme reluctance to accept a lower paying job, although it may be your target career or company or location. Number five, if you're the only earner in your family and you have big monthly expenses to pay, you'll find it almost impossible to leave the corporate world thanks to the steady income and expensive lifestyle. After 10 to 15 years, you may be sick of corporate life but because of commitments and responsibilities, you feel that you can't take the plunge into entrepreneurship. Thus you remain in your well-paying nine to five job, secure but miserable. This is quite common. Not, note that some of the above are probably more relevant in non-Western countries for obvious reasons. Look, I'm not saying that you must stay single, but performance is potential minus interference. Just be aware of the serious consequences have the right expectation and get married to someone who understands and supports your career aspirations. That's 10 more career truths. Now, this isn't a work of fiction. I didn't make this up. I've had a 28 year long working career and I've taught 4,000 plus CFA students during my CFA prep journey. More crucially, I'm a qualified executive coach and I've coached dozens of mid and senior level executives. In short, 
have experienced most of the above or seen it happen to others. Of course, there are exceptions to the above. They always are, right? The exceptions prove the rule. Now, I didn't know most of these truths when I joined the workforce 28 years ago, but now you do, and I hope you will reflect and act accordingly. Now, some people might find this all very negative and demotivating, but this episode is not meant to demotivate or to dissuade you, right? It's meant as a heads up to prepare you for that career. Because disappointment is when reality doesn't meet expectations. And I want you to get your expectations right. That way, hopefully, any good stuff will be positive surprises in a corporate career that can be fulfilling in many ways, like it was for me. I must add here that for all CFA candidates and CFA charter holders, who are of course bound by the standards of professional conduct. So please don't do anything that violates any of the standards, specifically standard one on professionalism and standard four on duties to employers. You can thank me later, onwards and upwards. This is brought to you by The Real Finance Mentor. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you found it insightful and inspirational. If you did enjoy this episode, please drop us a review and spread the word. And be sure to check out more exclusive content on therealfinancementor.com and my LinkedIn profile, which is Binot Shankar CFA. Let's keep in touch. Just add your name to the mailing list on therealfinancementor.com and we'll tell you about new episodes, plus book reviews, upcoming events and blogs. Till the next time, onwards and upwards.